I wonder if you've ever been asked, what's your poison? You know, the questioner doesn't really expect to hear a response of arsenic or tetrodotoxin from a puffer fish uh, or of some deadly nerve agent, but it's asking, what would you like to drink? Now, it's used in a sort of humorous, twinkle of an eye sort of way, perhaps by a friend, and usually with regards alcohol, but it could be referring to something a bit softer too. We sometimes use a word or a phrase to mean something that's not actually the words that we're using. We use metaphors, we use similes, we use all sorts of different turns of phrase, and we hope in doing that that the other person understands what we're saying. But if we misunderstand the language being used, if we get the context wrong, if we get the wrong end of the stick, then we might not be having the conversation that we think we are having. The former fishers, James and John, seem to be in this situation in the passage today. Let one of us be sat at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Now, I'm not sure if in asking that question, I, they're displaying a chutzpah in the original Yiddish Hebrew meaning of the word, which is insolence, or whether they're showing chutzpah in the way that we use it today, implying that they have a degree of bravery in asking something that we might not have gone and asked. But either way, they haven't yet, it would seem, taken on board the teaching of Jesus about how his name would be glorified in the city of Jerusalem, the city that they are traveling closer to each day. Their vision still seems to be earthly, human kingship, and they want a piece of the action, a seat of authority, the chance to be in power. Now, Matthew's gospel, largely based on Mark, actually puts the words into the mouth of James and John's mum. You know, that, that it's as if Matthew was going, I'm sure they wouldn't have asked it themselves. You know, let's put it a bit distant. And Luke, which contains about 79% of Mark's gospel as presented, ignores this topic completely. 
It saves the disciples their blushes. But James and John's misjudged asking about getting a share of the glory is followed by what is probably another misunderstanding, that of Jesus' question to them about drinking from the cup and accepting the baptism. The idea of cup and baptism might make us think of the two sacraments that we have within the church, within most Christian denominations, including ourselves. For us, the thought of the cup of Jesus is entwined with the meal taken on the night of his betrayal. As we take the cup, when we share Holy Communion, as you will hear next week, we remember the new covenant that is made, the believer's sins forgiven by the shedding of Jesus' blood. His suffering in our place might also make us think of the cup of the Lord's wrath in Isaiah 51 or Jeremiah 49. But to the disciples, of course, the understanding of the cup might be something slightly different. They are heading for Jerusalem, and it's getting closer to Passover time. The festival is near. It's likely that they are joyful thinking of taking the four cups of wine of the Passover meal, remembering God's promises in Exodus 6 to bring deliverance to his people, how the Israelites are to be brought out, delivered, redeemed, taken. Each of these four thoughts has a different cup shared at different times of that meal. And the cups are drunk in celebration of God's hope and promises that have been met. That's an easy cup to drink from. A cup of celebration, a cup of joy, a cup of promises met around the table with family and friends. That's a far easier drink than the one of suffering. Which did John and James like to think they were invited to drink from. Likewise with baptism. To us, it's the act of renewal of our life and sacrament of entry into the church, the one church. And when we're baptized as a believer, we declare that we've turned to Christ as our Lord, our Savior. We recognize that our sins are washed from us in the water. And into that pureness that is established at baptism, our cleansed heart, the Spirit comes. And the Spirit dwells within us, making us holy and fit for God. We are fallen, sinful people, but because we're made pure and holy by that action of the Spirit coming, we're able to enter heaven. 
we are marked as fit for God. And we can be equipped with his gifts, and we can be empowered for action to serve in new ways. The two disciples might have been present at that moment when Jesus was immersed in the Jordan by John the Baptist. And the Spirit's presence of the dove. They may well want to associate themselves with that message. The message to repent and live a new life and receive the Spirit. But the baptism Jesus is talking of is not that one from three years earlier but the baptism that will happen that is his death upon the cross. When we immerse someone in our baptistry here, we talk of their old life being dead. We'll lay them down. It's as if they're going down into the grave with Christ. And then they rise back from it. There's a resurrection up from the waters into a new life with Jesus, an eternal life with the Lord. In accepting the baptism of Jesus, the disciples need to recognize they could be overwhelmed and die for the sake of the Lord. That's what's on offer to them. The offer to them of baptism and cup, which they accept so openly, yes, I'm having that, are of a challenging path ahead, a difficult path ahead, a life of service, a life where there may be pain and suffering, a life of sacrifice. But whether they realize the fullness of what they say is another matter. They seek glory and rejoicing. What Christ offers is service and sacrifice. And I wonder, do we recognize the fullness of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? whether we recognize the fullness of what he did as a servant for the world, his sacrifice for us that we can be forgiven and renewed, but also that he is to be first in our life and that we put our focus on him. before John and James even ask to sit at either side of Christ in his glory, they said something else that was most inappropriate. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. This is the entire relationship we can have with God backwards. It's not 
what we can demand of God. He's the all-powerful one. He's the one that spoke and scattered stars into the blackness of space. Not what we can demand of Him, but how we can humbly serve His holy name. His will, not ours, be done. The Lord invites us to come to Him, to share our joys and our sorrows, to bring our prayers for family and friends, for our community and for the world. He does invite us to come and share and ask. Yet our prayer life should be rightly structured that when we come, the prayers of our heart reflect the Heavenly Father's heart. And then we'll see that we are praying for something that is already being done. Our prayers are answered in that way. The key is that we approach with a mindset that is humble and truly seeking God's will in our life, truly seeking God's will in the world. The other disciples were, not unsurprisingly, not at all happy at what James and John had been up to. Angry or indignant, they are said to be. The cheek of it, the chutzpah, though they had asked for those places in glory, Jesus doesn't promise them to them. But speaks of the challenges ahead and says that we will each receive a reward of a seat in the heavenly banquet and he tells us that there'll be many servants there. And it might be a surprise who some of those other people are. But what is sure in what we see in the passage is that the seat of honor goes to the one who gave his all in service of the Heavenly Father. And that we get our right reward in heaven. When we seek the glory, but don't seek to serve. When we want to see uplifted spirits and delighting in Christ's presence, but don't at the same time have a heart that honors his way of sacrifice, then like the sons of Zebedee, we have not been listening properly to the gospel and have misunderstood his call to be a follower and what that following means. It's a call to be a servant of the Most High God. May we choose to be servants and choose to honor his name.